you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. Week to week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure that is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. And we're honored tonight to have Pastor and Sister reading with us. Clark and Jonathan here with us tonight. And I tell you, um, some of the finest people in all of the world, uh, very close friends of ours and, and close friends with this church. And I just love and appreciate them so very much. And some of my very favorite people in all of the world, they're just real. Whether they're in the pulpit or at home, they just kind of, we are what, what we are, wherever we are. I like those kind of people. They're true servants of God. And uh, these boys have been working at camp for the last little while. And uh, what a great great family and we love the readings i've asked brother reading to come as very short notice we just he texted me today just to tell me how much he loved me and i said do you love me enough to come preach tonight <laughs> and so here they are we welcome them tonight would you put your hands together welcome pastor john reading oh come on god is worthy Come on, he's worthy. He's worthy. He's wonderful. He's matchless. He's majestic. He's awesome in this place today. He's the healer for every person that's sick and flushed and feeling bad. He's your answer. He's your solution to every situation, to everybody who's in distress and don't know what you're going to do and where you're going to go and how you're going to turn from here. He is the answer. He's the wisdom that you need. He's the grace that you, do, you need so desperately. He's the help and the healing. He's everything to me. I couldn't make it without him. Couldn't stand up without him. Couldn't put one foot in front of the other without him because he's helped me every day. Every day, every day, because he's ever present. Yes, he is. He's evermore. He's always and always has been and always will be. He's everywhere. I want you to know he's right here. We don't have a portion of God. We don't have a wisp of God in this place. But all of God is right here, right now. Hallelujah. I want you to think about that because some of you just kind of cruising on, you know, this, this place. And, well, I'll just get through the day and get through the night. But I think God's come tonight to shake you a little bit and get a hold of you and tell you, I'm everything you need right now. Why wait? Why wait? Why wait? Why wait? Why wait? Today is the day of salvation. Today. 
today, it's come to your house. It's in this place. Whatever you need of God from God, it's here right now. So why in the world would you go home heavy-hearted, broken-spirited, with pain in your body and in your mind? The healer's in the house tonight. The deliverance of God is in this place tonight. Habits fall off of you in the presence of the Lord. Hallelujah. Troubled minds, they dissipate in clarity and freedom and healing come in the glory of God. Somebody needs to wake up and realize you've never been closer to the answer that you need so desperately as you are right now. Right now, right now, right now. Your healing's as close as it's ever been or ever going to be. Your answer is right here, right now. As close as you could ever want it. Reach out and get a hold of Him in this place tonight. Hallelujah. Yeah, I got a message to preach, but I wonder if somebody would just get a hold of God and say, tonight's the night. Right now, Lord, I can't wait any longer. It doesn't matter what anybody thinks. It doesn't matter what anybody feels. It really doesn't matter what anybody else is about here. It's you and me, Jesus. John 14, 2 and 3. To those back in the media booth, I apologize. I changed. I'm going to call this something different. We'll title it a change. A chance and a choice. That's not much better than my first title. Let's hope I can preach better and I can title sermons. God help me. Tonight, time does not allow for me to say what is in my heart toward your pastor, his family, to this church. Lord of mercy, we feel like family here. You know, if I go to some stranger's house and they say, would you like something to eat? I may be starving. But I'll probably say no and hit a McDonald's around the corner. But if I come to a friend's house, you're in trouble. <laughs> and... Uh, and, and, and I'm just going to, I may, if you don't offer something quick enough, I may, I may go through the cabinets on my own. And that's all right. I'll ask you if you want something to eat. Tonight I feel like that. I feel like I'm among friends here. I'm among family. We are one, and we're so thankful for the way you have embraced us and our family. You have carried us in your prayers. You have loved us with your hearts, and we thank you for that. And Dear Lord of mercy, your pastoral team here is the best of the best of the best of the best. And I, I do not exaggerate that. Tremendous ministers and, and incredible people and the best of friends. And we're thankful for that. Amen. John 14, 2 says, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go. These are the words of Christ. This is Jesus himself explaining to those disciples why he is going to depart from them in a season. And he says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Amen. You may be seated. Once again, allow me to talk to you for a few minutes on what I think will be called a chance and a choice. <laughs> Isn't God good? Aren't you glad we can come to church and have fun? Amen.
happy Fourth of July to all of you, and, and we are celebrating the week of, 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 of our country's formation, and I understand that there's a whole lot that went into that, but uh, I, I, I like freedom. I like the freedom that we have to worship here. I'm glad we didn't have to sit on our hands, at least not all of us did, but I'm glad we have the freedom to raise our hands and clap our hands unto the Lord and to make a joyful noise unto Him. I'm thankful that we can worship Him in exuberance without fear or reservation, without hesitation that the doors might burst open at any minute and someone come in that our life is in peril because of our praise and our worship. Thankful we have the freedom to express our love and, and gratitude and appreciation, God, wherever we are, that we can carry a Bible comfortably down the streets, that we can express our views and, and, and what the Word of God says in a public way, no matter who's listening or who's around. I'm thankful for a country in which we live that there still is freedom. It was a French philosopher and author, Albert Camus, who said, freedom is nothing but a chance to be better. Don't you think about that for a second? It is a chance to be better. That is how he defined freedom. We could talk a lot this evening about what freedom means to you and to myself and what have you, but I want to think about that because a chance to be better is quite a lavish gift in reality. There are some things I will never be better at. There are some things I will never be able to do as good as others. But when I realize that I do in some areas of my life have a chance to be better, then something inside of me stirs and says, well, I just don't want to stay where I am then. Because if I can be better in some ways, then why in the world would I not do what I've got to do to be there? You see what I'm trying to say? And so it is that in the formation of our country before there was a republic or constitution, before there was a continental congress, before there was a declaration of independence, there was for hundreds of years prior to that, there was a flight to freedom. There were those who left their homesteads, they left their families, they left uh, sometimes precarious uh, situations to come away from their native country into this vast unknown. They suffered the perils of the unknown sea. They sailed into horizons that they did not know the destination on the other side simply because there was the promise of hope. There was the chance of a life that was better than they were living. We see in the great book uh, uh, that David Hackett Fisher wrote, it's called Albion Seed, and he said that there were four basic folk passageways from the uh, empire of Great Britain to what we now call the United States of America. These four uh, pathways that, that was great waves of immigration were first led by the Puritans. They left East Anglia and they came from places like the Netherlands and they settled in what we now call Massachusetts. And in doing so, they brought with them their ideals and their identity and their ways and they began to plant seeds in the soil of what would become a new country. And out of those seeds come corporate America and our educational system. It was these people 
people who would raise up institutions of education such as Harvard and otherwise and and that stronghold of, of intellect is here today because of this wave of the Puritans and then following them were those who were known as the Cavaliers. These came from southern England. With them came both the noblemen and came, if you will, the, the, the very poor and impoverished. And with this athletic mix of, of, of people, they, they, they settled in what we now call Virginia and they brought with them the mentality and the ideologies that created the plantations and the use of slave labor, amen, that plagued our nation for years. And so uh, that was the Cavaliers. Following them came those we know as the Quakers. These are people of which we have some spiritual roots. They came from Middle England. They brought with them a strict uh, a spiritual desire to worship God. They settled in the places we call Delaware and Pennsylvania so that they could establish churches and they could worship God without persecution. And they brought with them a strong desire to work and a sense of industry. And out of their seeds that they sowed into our country, we have uh, the law, we have the governmental system, and we have the industry and, and, and the, the, the corporate America element. And so then we find, if you will, the last wave that is described are the clans. These are the Highlanders. These are those who lived on the north side of England and they lived on the North Sea. They lived where the land ran out. They lived on what was left after everybody else got what they wanted. They lived on what was left. They lived on the craggy cliffs of the highlands that overlooked the North Sea, one of the most treacherous and desperate places in this world that anybody could live. They eked out a living due to their survivor instincts and their intense loyalty to one another. Have you ever heard of the Hatfields and McCoys? And then and that, that drive for family is what calls these people to bind together and survive in the strictest and roughest of conditions. But can you imagine when these clansmen were given the opportunity to board ships and go across the sea to the new land and here in this place we call America was this vast territory that was unsettled uh, by the Europeans and, and, and there was opportunity everywhere. There was such a discrepancy if you will of, of landscapes that if you did not like where you come from then you could certainly change that simply by landing on the shore and choosing your direction. In other words, if you did not like the harsh realities of life on that desperate landscape from which you come, there was places in this new world called Florida and, and, and the southern beaches of our United States of America where you could go and live in tropical paradise and never again remember the harsh conditions in which you live. And yet we find that these 
these clans did not go to some beautiful paradise type of place, at least in a tropical sense. But when they got to America in the quandary of where do we go, there is something innate within us that drives us right back to where we come from. They began to bore into the center of our country and they settled in a place called Appalachia and they began to build villages and a lifestyle in a terrain that was just as harsh and rough as where they had come from. They lived in, in their shepherding and in their, in, in their agricultural ways in a place that was extreme and hard where the ground worked against them, where it was not easy. But once again, they bound together in their familiarities and they worked together to endure, just to survive, just to make it, just to get by in a place of opportunity. They found a place just like home and they rebuilt their old life in a new world. You and I sit here knowing the vast opportunities of the places in this beautiful country in which you could live and not to say Appalachia is not beautiful but when you're considering where you come from and where you're going to go my goodness the opportunities were endless and yet they chose something so similar to where they came from and we shake our heads at their reality and yet before we criticize them tonight we need to understand they were simply working off of a human, very human tendency that is a part of every one of us here. You see, we are here tonight and the Bible says that we have been raised up to sit in heavenly places. That's why I approach this platform tonight, this pulpit, with exuberance and excitement because I realize that we're not just sitting in an auditorium, that I'm not just standing on a platform, but we are in the presence of the most high living God that we are in the holies of holies where we can come before his throne in time of need and we can beseech him for anything and everything that we desire and that we have need of. Grace is available healing and help is available in the presence of the Lord because we have been placed and we have been made to sit in heavenly places my friend I want to tell you whether you were born Born in this and raised or you stumbled in here for the first time you have found the miracle on this earth amen it's where God and earth meet it's where humanity and deity fellowship and in the presence of the Lord in the house of God in the glory of the king the opportunities are endless I don't know where you come from I don't know where you've been I don't know how you were raised and I don't know what you endured but I can tell you your future is incredible and your future is bright but something inside of us seems to compel us to find a place on a pew and park our carcass and simply rebuild our old life in a new place but I've come to tell somebody you're settling for less than God ever intended for you because he put you in such a place like this so that you could become anything you want to be in him. Can I just be honest that too often 
Our lives mirror those of the world from whence we came. We just say we're all human. You get a microscope out and scrutinize my life, you're going to find more mistakes than you'll find successes. You'll find more problems sometimes than you will solutions. But can I tell you, without being judging at all in my intent, amen, we reflect the world from whence we came a whole lot more than I believe Christ ever intended when he crawled up on that cross and he allowed his life to be taken for our sins and our situation. The marriage and divorce rate of America is almost identical in the church and out of the church. We have people that are sitting on our pews that are in financial failures as if they did not serve and honor the giver of all good things. We have hopes here in this house tonight that are dealing with emotional and relational distress as if they did not know the king of peace. And I've just come to tell you, I could go on and on and on, but all of us understand the reality that the shame of it is. We've been too content to punch our ticket to heaven and say, I'll just sit here and wait for my Holy Ghost train to come in and wait in the same mess in which we live before we come to church. Happy that we're we're a somewhat sanitized version of our former selves. Maybe we don't do what we used to do to the extent that we did it. Maybe we don't say quite what we used to say, but often we have left the roots of that behavior buried beneath the soil of our heart, and we live in a constant turmoil struggling to keep what we know is on the inside from being manifested on the outside. And God help us if people ever get a real glimpse into who we really are and see that we're as human as we are and so we hide and we pretend and we come to church and we clap when it's time to clap and we stand when it's time to stand and we raise our hands when it's time to raise our hands but God did not call us to come and simply go through the motions of what he, we think he wants he has called us to live a life that is abundant abundant life he has called your marriage to be an example to this community he has called your life to be an example to this city he has called your home to be an example to your neighborhood he has called you my friend to be a light that cannot be hid oh Jesus help me when we come to understand he didn't just save us from a devil's hell but he came to save me where I am. He come to save me from who I am. He come to save me from where I've been and set me on a new path. Our text tells us, I want to prove this to you tonight through scripture, amen, that there is a place that is made for you. Hallelujah. The Bible tells us in the words of Jesus when he was describing our hope that I go that I might prepare a place for you. Paul said if my hope was in this world only, he was a man of affliction. He knew what it was to live in pain and suffer in this life. And he said if this is the only hope we have, then I'm miserable. But I am claiming a promise that this is not the way it's always going to be. Somebody in this house needs to understand, amen, that when Jesus told us we had a hope, amen, 
and that we absolutely do. But I've come to tell you that the hope doesn't start in heaven. The hope doesn't start in heaven. In fact, let's go backwards in time to the beginning. For the Bible tells us that out of chaos, God made the world. And He called everything that was created into position. He made the sun to stand in attention. And the moon to hold its place in the sky. The stars He put in there with just four words of commandment. We understand, if you will, my friend, that our God is capable and able as He shaped it and formed it to the perfect formula for the survival of our species. Not only did he make it survivable, but he made it blessed. Oh Jesus, help me. Somebody is living so beneath your privilege. You have lost the concept of blessing. But the Bible tells us that as God worked in the time, in that time of, of creation, that he would just stop and he would bless it and say it was good. He didn't bless it just because he was admiring his handiwork, but he was going to form out of that creation a man and place beside him a woman and they would have the children that we would become and he was blessing it for them because he was making a place for us hallelujah when he caused the the trees to come out of the soil he put fruit that would be pleasant when he caused the waves to lap against the shore he created the glimmering seas that would relax us when he created Created everything that he is. He made it appealing to mankind, my friend, just for you and me. And then out of the perfection of his creation, he said, I'm going to make a place even more special. And the Bible said between some rivers, he created a place where he put them and he put them over it all. And he blessed them and said, go be fruitful and multiply. My God is a blessing God. My God is a benevolent God. My God loves us with a love that is unshakable, unremovable. And so it is that Adam and Eve had free reign in this place of paradise until their decisions and sin caused them to be cast out. With their outcasting came the fall of all mankind and we suffer the condemnation of their actions and ours today. We suffer within ourselves the death and the fear, the oppression and the pain. But oh, I want you to understand even in our woundedness and in our brokenness our God did not forsake us for he saw a man and he said out of you I'm going to make a people. Abraham come walk with me and everywhere you put your feet down it's going to be a nation. The stars of the sky pale in comparison to what I'm going to do for you. The sand of the soil pales in comparison to what I'm going to do for you. Abraham became Isaac and Isaac became Jacob and Jacob became Joseph and his brothers and they're in a strange place. They're in a land that they don't understand but even in persecution, even in opposition, God made a place for them. (laughs) And the Bible tells us There arose a Pharaoh that knew not Joseph. 
as the straps were laid upon their back and their bodies were broken and their babies were killed, the Lord sent them a deliverer, an unlikely character. And yet he said, let my people go. And they walked to a Red Sea that rolled out of their way because the Lord was pointing them to a land of promise. For he said, I have a place prepared for you. Prepared in advance with houses that you didn't build, with fields you didn't plant, with crops to harvest that you have not had to take care of, vineyards that you did not have to care for. But I'm walking you into a land that flows with milk and honey because wherever you are and whatever you're suffering with, never forget that there is a God somewhere in your future out ahead of you calling you to a place that he's prepared for you. That's why it's a shame to sit on a Pentecostal pew broken, hurt, wounded and sick because God is ahead of you saying come on, don't stay there don't quit there don't give up there Can I tell you, that's not where it stopped. But Jesus looked around at his disciples and he said, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to make a place for you. Upon this rock, I build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'm going to give you a church. It's going to be your salvation. It's going to be your hope. It's going to be your keeping place. It's going to be the healing place. It's going to be a place of deliverance. It's going to have an altar of forgiveness. I make a place for you. A place in the altar. A place in the choir. A place on the pew. A place in ministry. A place of opportunity. Who wants to go there? Lest you fear that this is just the hype of emotion of an overly exuberant preacher. Allow me to let the word speak for itself. For Corinthians tells us, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, notice, pay attention. Old things passed away and all things are become new. I need to tell somebody, you're not where you used to be. You're not who you used to be. You're not who you used to be. I don't care if they tell you because your daddy was an alcoholic and your granddaddy was an alcoholic that you have got to be an alcoholic. I've come to tell you, when you were baptized in his name, when you were saved by his power. You become a new creature. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter where the devil would like to take you back to. you got an opportunity to be anything you want to be. You may not have preachers lining your past, but you can become a messenger of the gospel. Your children and your children's children can be blessed abundantly because of where you go in Christ. Right. 
got too many folk willing and content to sit on a pew with the junk of their past parked beside them. You don't know where I come from. You don't know how I was raised. You don't know what I've survived. I don't expect to ever be blessed. I don't ever expect to be an overcomer. Just allow me to be a survivor. Just let me let me find the hardest place to live and just let me hang on there. I'll have a fighting spirit because all I can think I can do is survive. Let me tell you about the people that are always fighting. Amen. There's a mentality that can get in us because all we've ever known is hostility. All we've ever known is that we can't trust anybody. All we've ever known is that others are out to hurt us. That's the hostility, amen, that compels people that have grown up on the rough side of the mountain that the only way you can make it is fight anything and everything that comes by. But there is a life of peace. There is a life of community. There is a life of blessing. You can lay your sword down. You can let your defenses down. You can tear your walls down because this isn't a man-made church. This isn't a man-made thing. But this is that which God has prepared. He brought you to a safe place. He put you in a family that wants to embrace you. Stop bristling every time somebody gets close to you. Stop bristling every time somebody tries to love on you. It's possible that it's true. The intent of their heart and the desire of their mind. hours south of us is a harsh place to live that is known for its constant turmoil and clan wars between themselves all because that's the only way they know to survive and I've come to tell somebody God never intended for us to bring the old life into the new world God never intended that I'm just going to say it this way. Some things don't belong in the church. Some things don't belong in the church. Let me, let me, let me back up here because, you know, some thing, people think it's all about rules. I got news for you. Your pastor has no desire to be the spiritual sheriff of your city. Your pastoral staff has no intention to police your home and to measure you and look you up and down and to keep you straight. That's, that's, that's not God's design and that's not their intention. Amen. It's not about that we don't serve a God that came up with a bunch of rules to see if you could obey Him and keep jumping through His hoops. That's not what it's about. Let me tell you something. God understands where He's brought us from and He knows the human tendency that we have a tendency to bring with us junk that we don't know how to let go of. We get a sentimentality. Amen. Even if it's even if it's a, a something that's broken, even if it's something that 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 we don't like, but yet it's familiar and. It's all that we know. And so it becomes our default that we revert to when we're nervous, when we're embarrassed, when we're ashamed, when we don't have an answer and a response that we know how to cultivate within ourselves. We go back to that default even if we hate it. And that's why God says some things don't belong in my house. Not because he's a rule keeper trying to see if you'll jump through his hoops and measure up to his desires. But he knows what's best for you and me. He 
knows what will bless us and keep us and help us. And he says, you can't take into your life what I want to bless you with if you're hoarding the things that you should have left behind. My God in heaven, if somebody will get a revelation of what God's trying to do in your life when he's trying to clean you up and clean you out, you will never resist a word from God that says, hey, there is a better way ever again because you won't see a pastor, a preacher, a teacher, or a leader trying to take anything from you. You'll realize that anything God is trying to take out of your life, it's because there's something better just waiting for you and you will willingly lay down anything that's not like God because you know something better is on its way you have been placed in a setting of endless possibility and the only thing that restricts you and your future is what you're still holding on to there's a story in the Bible that depicts this for me as I would like to relate it to you. The Bible says there was a father who had two sons and these two sons, one of which came to him and said, I want my inheritance. It was not an unheard of thing for, for a son to come to a dad and say, let me take what belongs to me and I, I want to use it to uh, enhance the family's holdings and I, I want to invest and I want to reuse what we have so that we can become better, stronger and more capable and so this father dispersed to his inheritance to him. But instead of using it in any productive way, the Bible tells us this young man went into a strange place and there he began to live righteously. In other words, he began to party as hard as he could and in doing so he spent every good thing, not just the money in his pocketbooks, but the morality and the work ethics and all that he had been given. Did he waste himself completely until it was gone? His friends are gone. The economy crashed when there was a famine in the land and everybody was gone and his hope was gone and his life was gone until the Bible tells us that he enjoined himself if you will to a citizen of that land he sold himself into slavery he became a slave he no longer had an identity he no longer had a future he no longer was a person but he was a property because he sold his identity away it was in this place that he had to fight for survival his only substance was he could eat what he could get out of the hogs mouths when he was trying to feed them he wallowed in the mud just as they did he slept in the pen just like them and he ate the husk and the worst just like they did but the bible gives us an incredible message of hope for those of us that are in the house and those who have those outside of the house for the bible Bible says that this young man came to himself. Something happened when his understanding returned unto him that even the servants at my father's house lived a lot better than this. If I can just get back home, even if I have to live on the edge of father's property, even if he won't let me come up to the house, if he'll just let me live somewhere, then I can 
exist in a better condition than I am now. That's how many of us approach the mercies and the goodness and forgiveness of God. I don't deserve to be a son, but if you'll just let me park on an obscure pew, if you'll just let me slip in late and leave early, if you'll just let me hang my head down during service and hope nobody notices I'm there, then I can just exist in the back of your place. But I've come to tell you the Bible says when he was afar off, but he was on his way home. The father saw him and ran to him because he was waiting on him. And you know what the father did in falling upon him, weeping with joy and happiness. He turned and commanded the servants about him. Go, go, go. Bring the ring. Bring the robe. Bring the shoes. Kill the fatted calf. You know what he was saying? I got a place that is prepared for you. I was anticipating. I was waiting. I've been counting the days for you to come home. We are prepared for you. We're waiting for you. I could preach to you tonight what the ring, the robe, and the shoes mean. The most significant thing is that it was a return, amen, of rights and privilege. But the shoes themselves meant because no servant or slave was allowed to wear shoes that the father was telling him, I'm buying you back from the one who owns you no matter what it costs. Amen, you don't belong to anybody but me. I'm yours and you're mine. My house is yours. My table is yours. My bed is yours. I want you to understand there was something about it. The son, I said, I had the right to return to a good life, to a blessed life. But the father said, I've been waiting on this moment and I got a place prepared for you. What you think about this for a minute? Joseph changed his clothes when he was leaving the prison to come to, to Pharaoh, but the Bible doesn't tell us this young man had a change of clothes. The stench was hanging off his garments. The mess was between his toes. The aroma and the smell was embedded into his pores. His hair was matted with the filth of the pen and the pigs. And yet the father did not judge him, did not refuse him. But there's another side of the prodigal story we never talk about. The father said, some of this stuff doesn't belong in my house. My house is free. My house is liberated. And my house is clean. You leave this mess here and come with me. But you're going to have a new garment. And you're going to have new shoes. And you're going to get clean. And you're going to get well. Because there's just some things that don't belong in my house. And it wasn't that the son was not welcome. But it was the father didn't want him constantly reminded of where he had been. You're not coming back to be a has-been. You're coming back to be a son. And so when you wake up, it's going to be in fresh sheets, fresh garments, fresh robes, fresh clothes, fresh shoes, fresh food. I wonder how many days it took for him to wake up and wonder where he was. It wasn't the rooting and the oinking of animals that woke him. 
wasn't the cold of the sludge in which he lay that stirred his body out of slumber. But he lay there in a warm bed, in a comfortable bed. And he heard the sounds of his mother walking down the hall joyfully rejoicing that her son was home and he heard the industry of his father out in the field and out in the yard and he looked out the beautiful window into the sunshine at the powerful crops and all that had been raised in his absence and the father wanted him to know there is the place where you belong you have a future amen and your past does not matter amen and so do you and I today in this house I just simply come to say that God is trying to wake somebody up but there is a choice that you and I have to make freedom doesn't doesn't do it automatically but freedom is the option it is the chance to choose a new life when God made you free yes the son hath made us free yes we are made free in Christ but it's only through the choice that we take to act upon what we've been given that determines our future. You can sit here and just escape hell or you can come into this place and rise to your feet and realize I've been given a new life in Christ. I don't know about you. I don't want my old life. I'm just in a new place relocating the mess that I've been in was. Here's what I believe. What you got to understand, this whole thing about preparing. It's a scriptural principle from the beginning to the end of the Bible. God prepared, 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 prepared. To prepare means to make ready in advance and to anticipate. You don't prepare and, and just throw something together at the last minute. This wasn't something that the father did. Just, oh, I, I didn't expect my son to come home. But the father was waiting. The father was anticipating. And the father knew what was going to be. Perhaps he had heard the rumors. I don't know. But in his infinite wisdom, he was ready for whatever was needed to undo his child's past. See what you don't understand about that. We know the power of God that he can do anything. But see, here's the problem with us. We know in our mind, but we have yet to accept it in our heart. See, here's the reality of that. It wasn't just that he could anticipate and have ready, but it was that he knew everything his son could have got into and he wasn't going to hold it against him. See, all of us can abstractly bend our mind around the fact that God forgives. But would you allow it to sink, not in your head, but into your heart, that yes, He forgives, but He has forgiven you. He is not surprised at the messes you've made, the mistakes you've made, and where you've gotten yourself into. And what you bring out of this world is not going to shatter him or cause him to fall apart or to be, mis- be, be, be harshly uh, judgmental against you. He has anticipated every step you've ever taken. He knows every turn you've ever made. He knows every mistake you've ever... He knows every problem you've ever created. He knows knows the mess you're bringing with you and he is anticipated and he has the antidote ready you are not popping a surprise on God he's waiting, he's waiting he's waiting and he's ready for whatever you have need stand with me that's not the only place 
that was prepared for us. For the Bible tells me, Brother Danny, there's coming a time when the angel of the Lord shall step forth and put a trumpet to his lips. And the Bible says, time shall be no more. Amen. And he has come for us. And the Bible says, the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we who are remaining shall rise to meet him. And we will meet him in the sky, in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. The Bible says, we shall be like him. Hallelujah. And the Bible tells us that he will take us to a place that he has been preparing for us. But there's some things that you can't take there either. (laughs) Because the Bible says we're going to a place where there's going to be no more night. For for there is no sun, moon, and stars. But the Lord himself shall be the light thereof. And the Bible tells me there's going to be no more crying and no more tears and no more sorrow and there's no pain there you can't take your sickness there because we're going to be glorified as him there's going to be no crying there's going to be no death there because he has prepared a place for us the tree of life will be there Bible is bookends with the first couple of chapters being mirrored by the last few. There's a bride and a groom. There's a place prepared. I don't want to limp into heaven. I I, I don't want to be some fussy, angry, bitter saint that just barely gets in because... I surrounded myself with the baggage of this life and refused to let it go because I carried the shame of my past into a place of new opportunities. There's no sin. There's no mess you've ever made. There's nothing you've ever done that God cannot deliver and liberate you from the shame of it all. What I told you tonight, the title of this message, my pitiful effort is just simply, it's a chance and a choice. He gives you the chance, but you've got to make the choice. You've got a chance to be a new person. You've been given an opportunity to have a new identity. When our church was being built, one of the city, one of the city, the most prominent men lived right across from where we were going to build our church. We were the crazy apostolic Pentecostals. That was a day and age where they were throwing stuff at us and making fun of us for speaking in tongues. They hated us. They hated us. For four years, we were in legal battles just to get the permits for our building. When we realized they could not stand in the way, they asked one of the prominent men. He was a principal of a high school. They said, Ernie Tenrow, what do you think about that crazy Pentecostal church coming in across the street from you? And he said, well, they're different. He said, but when they have their outdoor meetings, and we were having the tent revival that summer, he said, when they have their outdoor meetings, my wife and I, we park our, we park our chairs, our lawn chairs out in the yard, and we listen to what they're saying. And they were surprised at his response of that, and they, what do you mean? And he said, because I see cars pull in, and families get out, and I see fathers and mothers, and they're walking their children into that tent. And he said, 
They're the ones we lost to LSD. They're the ones we lost to PCP. They're the ones we lost out of my school and out of our community. He said, I don't know what they're doing over there. He said, but they got them out. Our board members were acid freaks, hippies, derelicts. The people that I grew up looking to as ministers in our church that I respected with reverence and loved them, they had a past a million miles long. If you go back to the bar fights and all that they did and, and who they were, there, there's an incredible litany of things that, 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 that they could be assigned. But the reality is when you walked in church, all you seen was righteous men with hands lifted up with wives and children all around them. And, and this man of the city said, I don't understand what they've got, but I do know something it turns people's lives around see if we don't let God do this in us we rob that light to our city so if you're struggling in your marriage if, if, if you can't stand your parents or your parents can't stand you if you seem to go from one financial distress to the other and just if you've brought along habits and the echoes of your past and the things you thought you'd never say you're now hearing come out of your mouth God never intended for you to bring your old life into the new world but freedom is the opportunity to choose to be better and I'm wondering if, uh, this is not a mass altar call right now, but this is somebody that's willing to step forward and say, you know what, I'm not going to be shackled forever to the shame of this, what I did, uh, what my father did, what my parents did, what the way they were. That's not going to haunt my family from here on out. I refuse just to park on a pew and just to survive, but I'm going to thrive in the Holy Ghost. And I want you to walk forward to the front of this house, and I want you to come with one thing. God, we're going to change one thing. My marriage is going to be healed. My home is going to be restored. The peace, my conversation. Come on, I want you to. I want somebody to step out and say, you know what, God? Here's the one thing I'm going to bring to you, and I'm going to ask you to change me. Change my heart. Change my life. Change my family. Change me. Change me. Change me. I I choose to be changed. 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 I choose to be delivered. I choose to be set free. I choose to be made over in Christ. I choose to be a new creature in you, Jesus.